Kia ora and tēnā koutou katoa. I'm Bernard Hickey. This is my dawn chorus to go out every day with my email newsletter via Substack for paid subscribers. I focus in particular on housing affordability, climate change and child poverty reduction. Today I wanted to talk about the innards of the New Zealand economy and why our repeated attempts to try to improve the performance of the economy keeps stumbling. We've got a fresh example this week. Uh, as I mentioned in yesterday's Dawn Chorus, the government, uh, after only 102 days, has backtracked on its plans to use migration policy to try to improve productivity and real wages in the economy. Let's just step back a bit and try to understand how the New Zealand economy works. Essentially, we have pursued, accidentally on purpose, from both sides of politics over the last 30 years, a low investment, low wage, high house price and high migration policy. This allowed us to continue to feel wealthy and to ensure that people who had parents who owned property here were able to keep paying for their own kids to stay here. But it meant that those people who didn't own property missed out on massive tax-free leveraged capital gains on residential property. It's meant that those people who run small businesses, uh, and but who also have residential property, have been able to keep those small businesses going. Many of those small businesses are in effect self-employed lifestyle businesses. New Zealand has one of the highest rate of self-employed people and small businesses in the developed world. And you can see a chart for that in today's Dawn Course email. This has meant that our government and our businesses have invested relatively little in new technology, in R&D and in infrastructure, all of which are required to improve the output per hour worked of every person working in New Zealand. This is what they call productivity, and it's essential if you want to increase your real wages. Now you may ask, well, hang on a minute, uh, who needs to earn money from your job when you can make much, much more money from the house that you live in, or in particular, the land on which the house is sitting on top of? That's true. And that's how the system works for those people who own property and who in effect decide who's in government and what those policies are. So uh, the best example of that is what's just happened. The government tried and has been trying for five years to tweak around the edges, ask the public for permission and try to find other ways around the essential problem of not taxing capital gains on leveraged residential land. So we know, of course, that uh, in 2011, 2014 and 2017, we had election debates about whether or not to introduce a capital gains tax. Uh, Labor's proposal in 2011 and 2014 for a capital gains tax on uh, a rental property investments, not owner-occupied property, uh, were rejected by the electorate. And in 2017, uh, the then opposition leader um, pulled out of a proposal for a capital gains tax on 
rental properties three days before the election uh, when she decided not to implement it in the first term of a government and instead have a tax working group. Um, as we know, in 2019, the Prime Minister effectively threw up her hands and said, I'll never be able to introduce a capital gains tax in my political lifetime. And earlier this year, she uh, wrapped in the idea of any sort of wealth tax into that never in my political lifetime idea. On the other side of politics, the current national opposition leader, Christopher Luxon, has said that uh, he won't bring in a capital gains tax or wealth tax. In fact, uh, the various tweaks applied by Labour in the last four or five years to try and get around the lack of an ability to impose a capital gains tax, and they include ring-fencing losses from rental property, uh, removing interest as a tax-deductible expense for landlords, uh, and extending the Brightline test for capital gains on rental property investments. National would repeal those um, as soon as it got into power. So effectively, New Zealanders, particularly the median voting New Zealanders, who mostly own property in the suburbs of our big cities and in the provincial towns and cities throughout New Zealand, are effectively saying, no, we need to stick with our existing model of making our money from the land on our houses, not worrying too much about whether we make much money from our jobs or from our businesses, and ensuring that we keep the economy growing, not by growing output per hour worked, but by increasing the number of workers in the country and increasing the number of hours worked per week per worker. And that has been very effective for the last um, two decades in ensuring that our total economic growth, the nominal size of the economy, has actually grown faster than most other countries we'd compare ourselves against. The issue, though, is that our real wages, and in particular what those wages can buy, has fallen even further behind the likes of Australia and other countries because they have improved output per hour worked faster than we have. And that's because they invest a lot more in their businesses and R&D and investment. Now you may well ask, uh, well, well, why don't we invest in our businesses and R&D and infrastructure? Well, when you're a business or an individual, a household, you have choices. You can choose to put your money into your business, maybe to uh, bring in some new technology or to train your workers or to arrange uh, an acquisition or agree to be acquired uh, to increase your scale and to change your manage management systems to be more productive. Or you can use your spare cash to leverage it up and buy more property, which of course we know is uh, much less volatile than investing in a business, much less work, and much more likely to get the leverage you need to get very high returns, which of course you need if you're going to retire or ensure that your kids uh, have a deposit to be able to get on the ladder themselves to, of course, uh, take advantage of the next 10 or 20 years of leveraged tax-free capital gains. Now, that's all fine, uh, unless, of course, you're not part of the landed gentry and your parents don't own property. And then you have a choice. You can choose to try to marry into that wealth, or you can choose to uh, um, 
try to find some corner of the country where land prices and house prices aren't ex so extreme that you can afford to live and afford to build a future. It's quite hard now. A lot of people have found those little pockets and have moved there. Uh, or you can simply move to Australia and uh, build a life there. Maybe save enough money from the 30 to 40% higher wages and now the lower living costs to come back with a deposit to, uh, to try to, to do it. But um, in essence, we've created a, a, an economy, a housing market with bits tacked on, that works quite well for property owners and for median voting property owners. Uh, but it's not working to increase our real wages or to ensure that those people who are not part of the landed gentry choose to stay here. So what we're seeing is this constant drip, drip of New Zealanders leaving the country, often highly skilled, who don't see a future for themselves here or see an opportunity for higher wages and a better standard of living overseas, particularly Australia, and if they can get in at another country, another country, such as the United States or continental Europe or the UK. That is uh, all fine, but it only works when you can replace the, that outgoing, that constant drip drip of uh, New Zealand-born people leaving the country with high skills, if you can replace it with uh, migrants coming in who are hopefully if you're in a small business, hopefully on a relatively low wage, so you can continue to uh, run your business, lifestyle business, and continue to make it barely profitable and keep the whole thing going uh, so that you can retire with the um, sale gains from your residential or maybe your commercial uh, land properties. Now, um, this again requires two core ingredients to keep this economy going. Low-wage imported labour and tax-free residential land gains. So the current government, the Labour government, has tried to bring in a, tax, ta a capital gains tax and failed and now looks uh, unlikely or, or it's impossible to do a capital gains tax under the current leadership. Interestingly, Jacinda Ardern has ruled one out in her political lifetime, but Grant Robertson has not. Now, uh, how are we going to break this logjam? Because the government's attempts to squeeze migration lower and force businesses to go cold turkey and force them to invest has failed. Just over three months after its immigration rebalance, the government has had to wind back its plans to force employers to pay higher wages to imported migrants to effectively squeeze down the volume of uh, migrants coming in because um, those businesses don't want to invest and can't or are choosing to invest elsewhere. And uh, until you change those fundamental incentives for investment, it's very difficult to do. So how do we solve this issue? What are the various options around there that are politically doable? and not just an academic exercise. Well, uh, the capital gains tax seems to now be so politically toxic as to be impossible. I also think it's not the best form of tax if you want to change the incentives around business investment versus residential land investment. It's complicated, it's slow, it, is, it will create a whole new industry of avoidance and actually, it punishes those businesses who 
create actual capital gains from their intellectual property, which you don't want to discourage. So my view is that we should have a, a an infrastructure levy, or you could call it a, an affordable housing and climate infrastructure levy, effectively a land tax on residential land values, which are determined by councils and which are all agreed, and there's no arguments about what the value is and uh, no debate about whether or not it's paid. If you own the land and its value is X, then you pay a certain percentage every year in a new tax to a new authority. Now, my view is that because there's such distrust, sadly, in uh, government, you'd ensure that the funds were put into a, an hypothecated uh, fund. When I say hypothecated, a bit like NZTA's Waka Kotahi's National Land Transport Fund, which means that taxes collected from petrol are put into that fund and used to repair roads and uh, run public transport. Uh, what you could do is put the money from a, a residential land value levy into a, an affordable housing and climate infrastructure fund, which is administered jointly by central and local government, invested in the pipes and the roads and the rail and the buses and the cycleways and the um, affordable medium density housing to achieve some of these things. Accountable uh, uh, to um, the public through uh, agreed targets, I, for example, would say that you'd need to achieve affordable housing for everyone by 2050, and that could be, for example, no one paying more than 30% of their disposable income in rent, and no one, uh, and everyone being able to buy a house if they want for no more than five times gross disposable uh, household income, or disposable house, household income. Uh, as well as, of course, carbon zero from transport and housing by 2050. Now, um, this is an idea of mine. Uh, however, there are a few others out there who share those ideas. The Opportunities Party has proposed a residential land value tax uh, without saying what it should be and what the money should be used for. My view is that you could, for example, impose a 0.5% annual levy on residential land values, in particular serviced residential land, and uh, impose a multiple of that, let's say three or five times, for land which is serviced and zoned residential but not occupied, i.e. land-banked land, and to ensure a multiple of that tax for those people who benefit in an unearned way from the rezoning of land and also the uh, public investment and in infrastructure which increases the value of land around that infrastructure. So for example, new railways, uh, new schools, new hospitals, new motorways, those sorts of things. Now according to my calculations, we have about a trillion dollars worth of residential land in New Zealand. So let's say you uh, uh, imposed a 0.5% land tax on that you're looking at revenues of around $6 billion, $5 to $6 billion a year, depending on the value of that land, and also what happens to the value of it after you bring in the tax. 
And uh, that's around about 2% of GDP, so $6 billion. That would be enough to uh, service about $100 billion in debt, $100 to $120 billion in debt within the next 20 or 30 years. That would see um, the government's share of GDP, so effectively the tax share, rise from around 30% of GDP to 32% of GDP. And uh, if you use that debt to um, invest in public infrastructure, so water, housing, public, public transport, uh, and uh, it was simple crown debt, you would see New Zealand's net debt rise from around about, so this is crown government debt, rise from around about 30% of GDP to somewhere in the 40 to 50% range by the time you got to 2050. Now that depends on various interest rate scenarios and economic growth scenarios, but essentially it would mean that our net debt would still be well under, in many cases, half that of our comparable AA plus rated peers, such as Australia, Britain, the United States. Now, at the moment, that is politically impossible. Both major parties oppose a uh, any sort of tax like this. And, however, they have agreed on all sorts of things over the last 30 years or so, including the likes of uh, an independent inflation targeting central bank, uh, given the mandate to get inflation down to around 1% to 3%. It's, which is part of the reason for the grumpiness right now of politicians on both sides of Parliament. Secondly, the arrangements for New Zealand Super, which uh, there is a political agreement in effect, which means that the 65 retirement age doesn't rise, that the rate for a couple is always indexed to 66% of uh, the average weekly wage, and that it's not means-tested. Uh, anyone who's tried to change that has not gotten it through. And I think actually the National Party's proposal at the last election, at the 2017 election, to increase, to extend their retirement age was quite damaging, uh, although it wasn't noted much at the time. And Labour have, of course, abandoned its plans to extend the retirement age beyond 65 or to change anything to do with New Zealand Super. Uh, you also have, for example, a, a bipartisan consensus on uh, not imposing new trade tariffs or taxes at the border, essentially to keep New Zealand open to trade, although not so much to investment. And uh, so these bipartisan long-term consensuses on the underlying economic settings for the economy are possible. Now, how could this be done? Well, under MMP, essentially, whenever we have an election, there is usually a small party with a balance of power, um, power able to extract concessions from one or other of the parties. And often, once they've extracted that concession from one of the parties, it's locked in and the other party accepts it when they get back in. So we've seen that, for example, with uh, Winston Peters, who has been one of the major players keeping the consensus going for New Zealand Super. And uh, uh, we, in theory, should have it with the Greens, but unfortunately, because they always go with Labour, they do not have any leverage in this MMP system. So there are a couple of parties that could play this role as the uh, uh, balance of power player that demands this sort of consensus, including Te Pāti Māori and uh, the Opportunities Party. The Opportunities Party, for example, has a land value tax uh, uh, policy. 
So, uh, there we have it. Uh, that is um, my dawn chorus for August the 23rd of August, essentially making a case that we can't really solve our low investment, low wage, high migration economy until we change the investment settings for businesses and households, which currently favour leveraged and tax-free investments in residential land. And I'm proposing that a residential land value tax of 0.5% to fund infrastructure for affordable housing and uh, climate emissions reduction is the way to do it, to create a new bipartisan long-term consensus via um, a trading, a, a balance of power um, debate uh, in, in election. Ka kite anho.